Hello there, church. This is Pastor Errol, and we are still in our series on why bother when we're taking a look at things within the church. And this part, this first part, actually kind of sounds like a uh, kind of an advertisement, and it kind of is. But trust me, this is something that's going to be important for later on in the message. So if you've got your phone, go on your phone to missionbible.church front slash give, or if you have a computer that's close to you, if this is up on the screen in your living room right now, go to your computer and go to missionbible.church dot church front slash give because this is going to be super super key we are online giving which has been such a huge such a huge blessing through this time of covid through this time of disconnection has been a key way that we've been continuing to fund the ministries here the one of the important thing that we need to know though is that on monday our current platform is going to expire so all of your online giving, if you've been doing that, is going to expire if it's been a reoccurring one. So what we'd like you to do is to go to missionbible.church front slash give and then be able to set yourself up for um, giving online, either where it's reoccurring or it's just a one-time gift. But one of the cool things you could do is go to the Church Center app and download that. You could actually, if you've got your phone, you could just download that from whichever app store you go to and you download Church Center app and then you just search out Mission Bible Church at 60447 zip code and you'll find us and you could actually set yourself up for giving and one of the great things you could do with this is to set up your reoccurring giving with that where it just it just automates that and that's something you can know is taken care of right at the beginning of the month or whatever point you want that to do that'd be fantastic if you could take care of that now again we're in this series called why bother and we started off with just asking the question why are we even bother going to church and the truth is is that no matter how good you are god didn't make you for isolation with just you and him he created you to be actually to grow better and closer to god by growing closer to his people you're you're just not as good without the gathering in the second week we talked about why bother being baptized in the first place and it's been so cool seeing people sign up for getting baptized and if that's not you yet but you're someone who's never made the decision to be baptized. You've never made the decision to be baptized. This is something that we want to encourage you to do by going to missionbible.church/connect slash events, and you could actually sign up for one of the baptisms that are going to take place in November. We are super pumped about that, and we want to encourage you to jump on that today. Please go ahead and do that. The week after that, we talked about why bother serving, and it feels like each one of these, we're trying to plug you right into action, and if it feels like that, that's because that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to plug you into not just academically taking in, but actually living out the just the vital and vitality-enriched life that comes from when we're actually following the design God has put on our life. So if you go to missionbible.church front slash serve, still tough for me to say that, but missionbible.church front slash serve, you could sign up for one of the ministries that we are going to be having here at this campus this fall. And we want to encourage you to do that. So do that today. Now, today, oh, and last week, just one other thing. It wasn't just last week that we talked about serving. We talked about communion last week. If you missed that, oh, go back and watch it because it's really important to understand why we take communion. And when we take communion in September, it's going to be all the more powerful for you. Now, today, we're talking about something that has a lot to do with my grandma. My grandma, Hilda, uh, she passed away a couple years ago. She's someone who meant so much to me. She was a lady who, um, she was a, just with, with regard to what we're talking about today, the idea of giving, she was a first generation giver. McFadden's were not known for their generosity and they were not known for giving to church. They gave to alcohol, they gave to tobacco, but they didn't give to church. They didn't have a whole lot of money, but the little money they had, they spent on themselves. And Grandma Hilda was that way too, until she became a Christian. 
And all of a sudden, she was giving faithfully in spite of the fact that my unbelieving grandfather wasn't a fan of it. He couldn't figure out why she was throwing her money away. But my grandma's a stubborn lady and she just continued to do so regardless of the fact that he wasn't a fan. And it wasn't that she did it without anyone noticing. There was one person that really noticed this. My dad, Dennis McFadden. My dad grew up watching his mom, who was the wife of a factory worker, they weren't drawing a huge income, and she would, he, he watched her faithfully, week after week, give money to Ontario First Baptist Church. Uh, and with, with the little money that came in from being a factory worker and the little money that she could scrounge together from cleaning other people's floors, my grandma put together her offering each week and she gave faithfully at Ontario First Baptist Church. And it wasn't because she loved the programs or the pastors. In fact, she was faithful in complaining about both of them. She gave, my dad later observed, because she looked at this as something she was giving directly to God. And that the most wise thing that she could do was to orient her finances around her faith and not the opposite way. Uh, one of the great things that she did was she showed my dad that. And my dad grew up watching this, this reality as he grew up and he watched that my grandma who had very little control being the wife of an alcoholic and an abusive man verbally. She had very little control and very little options in the 50s and 60s to do anything with her life of choice. And so in a world where she had very little control, the one area that she could control, ironically, was her finances, a portion of her finances that she could surrender control over to God's lordship. I never once heard my grandma complain about having anxiety about money, but I saw her live faithfully over and over again because again, it wasn't just my grandma who made a legacy of this gift giving towards the church to my dad. My dad and my mom had five kids and these five kids, all of us grew up with that legacy one of the great things is this, that all of us, like we're different. And with regard to my dad, in this group of people, we have differences in political opinion or outlook as far as the world at large. But the one thing that you see a legacy handed down for all of them is that each one of these people are plugged into a church and they're giving faithfully week after week. So we're like all third generation givers. The rest of them are not as important as me. Let's just talk about me. I am a third generation giver. When I come into church life, I'm not coming in firsthand as a, or first as a pastor or primarily as a pastor with the idea of giving. I come in as someone who's got a legacy from Dennis and Jeanette McFadden and a legacy from my grandma Hilda. I'm a third generation giver. And I get a chance to now look at the outlook of giving, not just as something that I'm doing to check off a box, but it really has something a, a lot more to do with treasure. It has a lot more to do with this concept of, of treasure that we see in Scripture. Uh, one, one, in one of the passages in Scripture talking about treasure, we see Jesus saying this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went out and sold all he had and bought that field. Jesus was consistently talking about this idea of kingdom and kingdom work as a treasure. The idea that we can actually follow God's lead and trust his lead and, and watch what God does through that as being the greatest value to the point that he uses this story of this dude who actually finds that treasure, knows how valuable it is and sells everything else he's got because this is worth funding to be able to get this field because this field has this treasure in it. At the very end of that passage, he finishes off by saying this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There your, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Another way of saying this is, if you wanna know what you're, what's really important to you, if you wanna know what you value most in life, look at your credit card bill. 
If you want to know what, what you value most in life, look at your bank statement and, and just see what is it that we are investing our money in. That's going to let us know what we value most in this life. Now, the great thing I, I think is not just that Jesus said all that, but the person who recorded Jesus saying it. And we understand the person who recorded that was an eyewitness. It was Matthew. But Matthew Matthew was not a guy who had a great relationship with money pre-Jesus. Matthew's relationship with money was, it was awful. He actually was the worst, he was on the opposite side of the aisle with regard to money. He cheated people, he embezzled people. He actually, as a Jewish person, he believed in God, but he had this awful relationship with money. In fact, to the point that it was something that people in his community hated him because of how he looked at money. And all of a sudden he's hearing Jesus talk about all these things. The fact that Matthew records this, it's kind of like recently we've had the Democratic National Convention and the Republican National Convention. I don't know if you watch those or not, but one of the things that both of them did, both, convection, both conventions did something. And one of the things that they did that was, was unified was this. The Democrats found a Republican that would actually speak favorably about the Democratic candidate. And the Republicans found a Democrat who could speak favorably about the Republican candidate. And that is powerful. Because if you could find someone who's not just a, uh, hey man, I've always been on on the same, I've always agreed with this. Uh, But you could find someone who's on the opposite aisle of agreement. Agreeing, that's powerful. Jesus has as an eyewitness to these accounts about money and our perspective and our outlook on money, a guy who had a terrible relationship with money. So if you're someone right now who just whenever a church talks about money, you feel like you want to throw up or you feel like there's a knot in your stomach or you get angry or you get sad or you feel guilty, just know Matthew felt far, he felt far worse. And no matter what you're going through, he felt even more. So just know that you're in good company. What we're going to do today is ask ourselves the question, why bother giving? For us, why do we give? Like when we, get, when we take an offering in church or you take out your phone and you give on the app, why do we even do that? Like, is God really that short uh, of finances? And what we see from Jesus' teaching is that when we line up our finances, we're doing something significant within our faith. And it's not that the more we give, the more our faith increases, but it's like there's this relationship in our faith that cannot be disconnected from the thing that impacts all of our other decisions Monday through Saturday, which is our money, which is our finances. And that a proper ordering of both, a coherency between the both impacts us significantly. Why bother giving? First off, it's because it corrects a fixation on false treasure. The reason that we bother giving is because when we do this, Jesus knew this would happen to us, it corrects a fixation on false treasure. You and I are addicted to false treasure. Now, I don't know what it is for you. Uh, For you, it might be online giving. Like that is like the treasure. Like when you make a purchase on Amazon, you're just like, cleansing breath. It's like awesome. For you, your false treasure might be, hey, I put all my money into my family because we got to go on expensive vacations. We got to go exotic places because I just don't want my kids to hate me when they get out of the house. Or for you, it might be, we put all of our money into sports. We put all of our money into our house or our boat or our vehicles because we got to drive some awesome, whatever it is. Jesus says that all of these things are fixations on false treasure, and instead we need to look to him. Look what Jesus says. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, 
where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And again, look at the guy who recorded this. Jesus continues to talk about this idea of a perspective on heaven impacts our current reality and how we order our finances, how we order our treasures. That we can order all of our treasures around things that expire or we move past or are forgotten. Or we can invest ourselves significantly in things that will outlive us. And Jesus' kingdom work is that. And that is, again, what he continues to communicate as the thing that brings us joy. The reason that we don't do that is because we are are like trapped in a fixation with false treasure, which of course brings us to the Millennium Falcon. Now, the Millennium Falcon is, is something that you see all throughout the Star Wars movies. One of the super, it's just super, super, super cool. But the cool thing that I love about the Millennium Falcon is the fact that um, in, in episode four, you realize that as powerful and as fast as it is, it is no match for something else. You see Han Solo piloting it with Chewie. You've got Luke Skywalker. You've got Obi-Wan Kenobi. And all of a sudden they start to, they come out of, they come out of light speed and they see this moon. But all of a sudden they're wondering, man, this moon is just, it's odd. And all of a sudden Obi-Wan Kenobi says, that's no moon. That's a space station. And they realize, okay, we got to get out of here. This does not look good, but they can't. They try to get out, but they realize that they're stuck in a tractor beam, pulling them in. The gravity, they can't, all their thrusters are powerless against the tractor beam of the Death Star. And they get sucked right into that that ship, that, that space station. And the only way that they could possibly get liberated from it is from inside the Death Star. Obi-Wan Kenobi has to crawl all the way around here and do this, this tiny little catwalk, avoid seeing the, the, these guys over here, the stormtroopers. And he has to go over to the tractor beam lever, which I don't know why there's a lever for this, but there is. And he goes like this. Remember that sound effect? It was awesome. I loved it. I remember saying it when I would see it, when I'd watch the movies. And all of a sudden when that's done, they're free to get out of there and they're free to fly away. Until that was reduced until the tractor beam was turned off they were stuck they were stuck in that space station they were stuck in the death star similarly you and i will continue to live the life that is built around our purchases being our source of joy you and i will continue to live around thinking that this vacation or this expenditure or this vehicle or this is going to be the thing that's going to give me joy even though we know that past purchases never have been long term satisfaction points it corrects when we give what god is using that for is to correct a false fixation on treasure all of a sudden the tractor beam gets reduced and we could properly look out and see how are we supposed to use our treasure in the first place? So it corrects a fixation on false treasure. Treasure. It also rightly identifies the source of true treasure. Not only does it, it stop the addiction to false treasure, it, it is conditioning week after week this addiction to false treasure, but it also rightfully identifies not just what the right treasure is, but the source of the right treasure. Jesus continues in that passage. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is saying that you're, you have a Lord in your life. And it's either the Lord or your Lord might be your finances, your income, or lack thereof, uh, your fear over money, the insecurity that comes from money. You might be someone who you've got plenty of money, you're not spending it, but you're holding on to it because you're 
dead afraid that if you don't hold on to it and hoard it, that you're going to be put into an insecure position. And Jesus says, you got to have one Lord. You can't serve two masters. And he identifies, this is Jesus, he identifies the fact that you cannot serve both God and money. Author Randy Alcorn put it this way, all your life, you have been on a treasure hunt. You've been searching for a perfect person and a perfect place. That's every, every single human being. All of us have been on a treasure hunt our whole life. We think that we're going to find that, that romantic partner that's going to be the perfect person. We're going to find that perfect place. He continues, Jesus, Jesus is that person. Heaven is that place. So if you're a Christian, you've already met the person and you've already headed, you're already headed for that place. But there's a problem. You're not yet living with that person and you're not, let, you're not yet living in that place. One of our problems is that even though as Christians, we know that God is our, he is our Lord, he's our savior, he's our director. We are not yet in a perfect world. We're still in 2020. We're still in a, the brokenness of everything around us. And we've got bills to pay. We've got kids to raise. We've got things to do. And this just broke. And you might be like some of the people on our staff where this feel, week feels like everything that could have broken in your house did. That happens. Sometimes it feels like when it rains, it pours. And we just feel like, I hate money. I hate finances. I hate having to make all these decisions. And then you come to church and you hear the pastor talk about giving to God. And you're like, are you serious? Do you have any idea what I'm going through? The amazing thing that we have in this is the reality that when we understand the source of our treasure, we have peace. That's peace that's above and beyond your job. That's peace that's above and beyond your current financial status. It's even peace above and beyond your past financial mistakes. That's because he's in control. You're a Christian. You already know the person that you've always been looking for on this treasure hunt. You, always, you already know the place that you've already been looking for, always been looking for on this treasure hunt. It's Jesus and it's heaven. And in the meantime, we walk with Jesus by bringing heaven's perspectives here, which leads us to the third reason why we bother giving. And that is because it is the best use of the treasure you're gonna find. It is the best use. You have operated on a financial strategy in your life, whether it's the best use of my money is to spend things on me right now, right here because I don't know what the future holds. You might have been operated on the best use of my money is to save it for a future opportunity. And I, the more I save, the bigger the things I can get. You might be someone who honestly, you're a very giving person and you're like, I'm gonna hold on to my money so I can give it to my kids in the future and this could be an inheritance to them. All these things make perfect sense. But the thing that's an even greater use of our money that doesn't disqualify any of those, but actually speaks into them and informs them is when we give to the kingdom work that Christ has called us as Christians to. Uh, and and the, really the two areas that we see that playing out are the following. Because it's the best use of, our money, uh, of the treasure that we're gonna find, we see the opportunity opening it up in scripture for us to use money that we have to resource spiritual needs and physical needs. One of the things I love about this church is that you are all about both of these things. When you hear about a need, you step up. If we're like, hey, we need kids clothes for this age over in this neighborhood, Boom, you're there, you get it. If you hear that, oh my goodness, I, there, there's a need over here and we need to actually supply finances for it, you're the ones that step up. In the midst of a, a pandemic where a lot of churches had to go to the government to get financial aid, we didn't 
because people like you continued on saying, oh, you know what? I'm actually continuing to pour myself into the kingdom work where I'm meeting spiritual needs, spiritual hunger, and physical needs and physical hunger. That's who I am. As a Christian, that's what I'm all about. And so one of the things that we get a chance to do is step into that and see that. And you see these two things happening in the New Testament. I don't know if you've ever heard of the book of Philippians, but we probably wouldn't have gotten the book of Philippians if it weren't for one church's generosity and their outlook on trying to meet these two things. Listen to Paul talk about it in chapter four. He said that no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except for you. The book of Philippians outlines the impact of what took place because of this church in Philippi's generosity. Not because they were, they were rolling in it. Not because they were all super wealthy, but because they were just faithful people that said, part of what I'm doing in doing what Jesus called me to do in the kingdom work is to meet spiritual needs and feed those spiritual, resource spiritual needs and resource physical needs. And this church was doing it, which is probably part of the reason why we hear Paul say this in the opening of the letter. He says, I thank God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with what? With joy. Again, one of the the byproducts of living in the kingdom life and and seeing what Jesus talked about is this joy that compels us to, to be generous. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The church in Philippi got it. They realized that that no matter what they had, part of their life was to resource spiritual needs and physical needs. And that one of the best places to do that was through the local church and the ministries that the local church had globally. That's so cool. And I love the fact that 2,000 years later, we're still taking a page from that church. Like I don't even know anyone. I I don't know all the people in that church. I don't know anyone in that church personally. But the cool thing is that one day I'm going to get a chance to meet them and say, you guys, you guys actually gave me a model to live after in, in 2020 that I'm actually still doing the thing that you guys were doing back then. That's part of the reason why the gospel got to this guy in the town that I grew up in and to you where you grew up in. And and so this is something that's super important. But one of the things that's super fuzzy and and confusing is, man, the Bible doesn't seem to give us a straight answer. How much? Like, how much of my paycheck is God's? Like, how much of it, like, do I, I mean, because I got got things I gotta gotta buy, I gotta pay. It would be irresponsible if I didn't. So how much of my my paycheck is God's? Now, some people, they kind of like relegate it down to like a 10%. And they say, okay, kingdom work is 10%. And, and the reason, the way they get that, or the, I, the word tithe, is an Old Testament word. And that, that talked about the tithe that you gave to God at the temple. And that makes sense. It makes sense. But here's the problem. You don't have an obligation to that 10%. You don't have an obligation to that law from the Old Testament. That's no longer something that you are, as a New Testament Christian, under. But the New Testament Christians who were no longer under that, they actually looked at that as a great starting point. They're already doing it, but they found themselves giving more sometimes, which was crazy. I've actually seen people at our church do that, where they, they've said, listen, I normally give this much, but I really feel like God's calling me to do this. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. But this is like, if you're looking for a, a good like setup, some people just look at it this way, 10% for kingdom work, 10% for savings, and then 80% to, 80% to live on. Rather than just saying, whatever I get as a paycheck, I'm just going to have 100% of that on me. I want to actually save 10% of that. I want to start to get into the habit of saving because that's good stewardship of of God's money. And and I want to make sure that I'm giving to God's work 10%. But I also want to like, this this right here, that's for everything else. And if I start off the month by by automatically just saying, this is what I'm going to give to God and this is what I'm going to put in the bank. And then I just 
try to live on whatever rest I've got, I actually find myself managing my money way better than when I thought the thing was 100% for me. Randy Alcorn put it this way. Our name is on God's account and we have unrestricted access to it. Okay, now when I first read that, I was like, whoa, that's kind of cool. Because if you knew that someone gave you, a pay, gave you a credit card, let's just say, they gave you a credit card or a blank check and it was in some, coming from someone else's account and you could do whatever you wanted with it, I could tell you what I would do with it. You know what you would do with it. But this is the reality we are currently living under. Our name is on God's account and we have, been, we have unrestricted access to it. And here's where it gets sideways though. A privilege that is subject to abuse. Because I, I do abuse it. As his money managers, God trusts us to set our own salaries. We draw needed funds from his wealth to pay our living expenses. Alcorn continues, one of our central spiritual decisions is determining what is a reasonable amount to live on, and it will legitimately vary from person to person. I don't know what you make. I don't know what anyone our church makes. I don't know what anyone our church gives. But one of the things I love is that people say, I need to figure out what I need to live on, and I, but I, I, I want to make sure that I'm setting myself up to give to God. Now, here's the th- here, one of the things that's important here with the stream that I'm, is different from talking to the people outside that are showing up on Manuka's campus um, for, for worship services. A lot of you aren't close enough to go to Mission Bible Church. Some of you, are at, you actually are, are watching our service in addition to your own church attendance. I want to encourage you, if you belong to a church, to find yourself giving right out of the top, right off the top of your paycheck to your local church. You're going to be doing the most good in your community and in the missionaries that they support by doing that. So we are not encouraging you to give to Mission Bible Church. Give to your local church. However, if you are part of Mission Bible Church, and if this is something that, man, I'm kind of new to this, like this is something that's new to me, that's the key reason that we're encouraging you to get in on this part of the process of giving and, and to make it something that's faithful. Because when we do something faithfully, week after week or, or paycheck after paycheck, it shapes who we are. One of the things that I find to be super helpful is when I set up, when we set up our account, we set it up for automatic giving. Now, some people, they want to think about their giving each time, and so they do it personally every time we get to the offering point. That's cool. But for me, I know I'm forgetful, and I also know that I automate things that are most important to me, like paying my checks that are just reoccurring bills. I make sure that's all automated. Netflix, I like movies. That's automated. I don't have to to buy Netflix each month and make the decision about it. Same thing's true with my spiritual walk. I want to make sure that my giving actually is something that is automatically done. And and that when we get to the time of praying for our, our offering, I'm praying, thanking God for the fact that it's already taken care of. And so that might be something that you'd be interested in, but make sure you go and you set that up there. The question that I have for each of us um, really boils down to this. Are you living out the joy of having your world ordered around God's generosity? Are you currently living out the joy of having your world ordered around God's generosity? Or, if that, or would that not be accurate of you? Again, if Matthew is of any encouragement, it's that there's a guy who had a really bad relationship with regard to his finances and how he looked at his finances in connection with his faith, but that it didn't stay that way. Jesus actually converted that, it changed that. And the other thing I love is the fact that we are not um, advocating for any of this. So we're able to grow our budget at at this church. 
because um, you might be not even going to this church. We want to grow our people closer to the people that Jesus created. And the people that Jesus created are generous people. And the w- place that we get conditioned to do that week after week is in our giving as a gathering of the people of God. I am the benefactor, the third generation benefactor of givers. Before my grandma Hilda, we did not have that legacy. She was the first. And that might be like you. You might be the first person in your family that actually starts off this perspective with regard to your finances and your faith. You might be a second or a third generation. If that's the case, man, thank God for the people who went before you and gave you the example. Now step into it. Either step into it as that person or as a person that's handing it off. I'd also encourage you this. One of the things that I've had a chance to see with Julie and I is that now we have opportunities, four other opportunities to send into the darkness these, these missiles of light of people that are going to be generous with the world around them through the local church and beyond. And that's something that if you're someone who has kids, you can start to model that as well and bring them into the conversation so they get a chance to say, why in the world are you doing this? Why in the world are you giving to church? Like we've got better things that we could spend our money on and you could remind them of the most, uh, most valuable and most important treasure that you have. And it has nothing to do with what you could purchase on Amazon Prime. It has nothing to do with the vacation that you can go on, that your greatest treasure is being a part of the kingdom work that Jesus has called you into. Right now, I wanna pray over you as you're making the decisions. Just maybe you're letting all this percolate. Maybe you're really offended at all this whole conversation, or maybe you just feel like, I just really need to think about this. I wanna pray for you during that process that God will guide you and help you make the decisions you need to make. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for every single person that's watching right now. I pray that you bless them. God, I I, I don't know the week that all of them have had. Uh, I don't know the challenges and the difficulties that each one are experiencing. But I do know that you are a good God. And I do know that you love them. Lord, one of the areas that is so difficult for us to extend our trust and our faith in is in our finances. Lord, that's all of us. There's very few people, Lord, that I've met that uh, are out of the norm for that. So Lord, I pray that this is something that we like Matthew can onboard ourselves to your perspective with regard to treasure, with regard to what we ultimately treasure and what we ultimately treasure are things that we resource. And I pray that you help us be the type of people that do that with joy, that actually the byproduct of us being obedient to you is a deeper sense of that joy. And we will give you the thanks for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, right now we're gonna go ahead and hand it off to close the whole service out to Pastor Josh.